Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart. of the series Chicago Healed, believing the, the different ways that Chicago as a city can be healed. Although we like to show buildings of the city, you know what I'm saying, drone shots of the lake, that's not what Chicago is. Chicago is the people who are the most beautiful part of this city. It's not just about these monuments and these beautiful, awesome buildings and all these inanimate objects without the people who live in not just the overall downtown, but the micro-neighborhoods and the ethnicities and the different races. Without that, there is no Chicago. Yet and still, we are um, known for different things. So we've been taking a, a negative angle, which is probably hard for an optimist myself, but to think of the way that the world has said different things about the city. So our first week was about um, Chicago being healed from corruption, beginning to imagine what that would look like. Or in the next week after that, was Chicago healed from poverty? Thinking about the ways that poverty has ravaged the city in so many ways. Last week was Chicago healed from violence. The violence that even in as far as California and New York, Chicago is known for, oh man, that's a violent place. Um, and this week is Chicago healed from division. A place that, this is a, one of the last great American cities, so it has all the great American problems and nowhere to hide because what you see is what you get here. It's a humble, hardworking city. We don't hide behind any glitz and glamour or puffing ourselves up to be anything that we're not. We're just very, it's the Midwestern humility. And what happens is all of that, um, all of those shortcomings are on display. They're in the front yard. They're on the front porch to be uh, made plainly. You know, you go to the birds and everything happens in the backyard, right? You know what I mean? Like everybody's got their yard. They park in a garage. You never hardly see your neighbors if you have high fences. But here in the city, people like to hang out in the front. You know what I'm saying? They're on the stoop. They're arguing. They're fighting. They're, whether it's good or bad. People are in the front, and that's the way Chicago is. Everything is out front, it's hard to hide, so you receive a lot of ridicule. But even in the midst of that, God is doing something in this city about division. He is doing something in this city about corruption, and he's moving. How do we posture ourselves as believers when we hear constant negative messages? You may come on Sunday. Maybe sometime during the week you're going to hear a positive message. But overall, there are very negative messages that we are here. The news don't make their money from positive messages and positive stories. You know, some puppies were found today and they were lost for a long time. No, they make money from drama and death and destruction. Which is why it's important for us as salt and light to continually introduce an important alternative to the way we see ourselves and the way people see themselves in the city or else we'll fall into the same narrative. Oh, you can't go to that neighborhood at night or you can't go to this neighborhood at night. Don't do, oh man, you don't want to move over there. Don't buy a house there. Don't do that. All these different narratives that inform the way that we move in life. But I believe Chicago will be healed of division. 
Where does the, the vision happen for us? Well, we can go all the way back to the garden. God created, right? He made us. He's like the Holy Spirit is hovering over the deep. God speaks. That spoken word is the Logos, which is Jesus. You have the Trinity present, and the earth is created. And in the midst of this creation, God makes man and woman and places them in the midst of the garden. And they want for nothing. They don't even need clothing. They have all the food that they could ever want. And they're in the presence of God. It says in Psalm 16 and 7 that in his presence, there's a fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. I think we think that's hyperbole. Like, God couldn't possibly have everything. Well, does he have a slurpee in his presence? You know what I'm saying? Does he have, you know, all these things that we really love or we think we need in his presence? Everything in his presence. What we desire on this earth is merely temporal compared to spending an eternal moment with God. This is how life was in the garden, walking with him. And then even in God's presence, we have a choice. So there are two trees in the garden. There's a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know how that story goes, right? God says, eat freely from the tree of life. It's, it's in my presence. I'm giving it to have anything you want there. But don't eat from this tree. As we exist now, we know God was very smart. He was saying you cannot handle knowing good and evil. You cannot handle knowing all the things that we know now, right? We know too many things. We know about too many wars. We know about too many kidnappings. We know about too many murders. It's things that our empathy and our compassion cannot handle. It exhausts us by knowing this. It's Genesis 3, 1 through 4. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God had established what it meant to be like him. He created us like him. And the serpent is like, well, you can really be like him if you know good from evil. But what I want to talk about as we're thinking of division in the city, the paradigm that is created in us. It's created an opportunity for us to distrust what God says because of what we know. You think about when you know the most things, when you're thinking about every scenario that can possibly go wrong or everything that can happen, you're in a place where you can't trust God's plans. We can't put anything into his hands when our mind is racing with anxiety of all the things that could possibly go wrong. The tree of life is a place of trust for us. We just have to lean on him and know that he's working everything out. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is our mind racing about all the evil things and all the good things that are possible. And it's overwhelming for every bit of us, crushing us, creating a separation of trust for us. The ultimate division. And all God wanted to be is with us in his presence. And we have been trying to get to God 
but by our own means for a very long time. One would say forever. We have been trying to do that. Get close to God, but God will we'll decide the, the means, the context, the time that it all happens. That's the only thing. And God, is, it's very simple to get to me. But since we know so much, we have to exhaust everything that we could possibly know. It's important to pay attention in Scripture when a trinity appears. Let us create man in our own image. When Abraham has three visitors, whenever you see God speak as us, that means the whole trinity is present. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says in John, in the message translation, John 1, that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth. God living outside of time, but also inviting us into the same place. Here we are divided. Our heart is to be with the Lord, but we know so much that we have to choose our own way. Okay, I want to be with you, Lord, but I know these things, and I have to choose my own way. And God is like, just be with me. Just um, trust me. Here, I'll send my son. I will sacrifice whatever I can. I'll lay it all on the line. But ultimately, you still have a choice. You can choose. And so many of us make the wrong choice over and over and over and over again. We make the choice that his presence isn't enough. And we run after the wind and we figure out how empty that actually is. That in Genesis, after they're kicked out of the garden because they disobeyed God and didn't listen to him, and then death and sin begins to reign on the earth. There's the first murder that happens between Cain and Abel. And wars are breaking out all over. Um, and then it kind of culminates in Genesis 11 and 6. In which all these smart people get together. Let's build a tower to God. Wow. This is what we do. Build a tower to God. You are walking in the garden with God. But now you need to build a tower to get to him. The distance that happens when we choose what we know over what God has placed in our heart. And in Genesis 11 and 6, the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do now. Nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Let us go down and confuse their languages, because they won't know how to join together to get to me the wrong way. And we've done that so many times. If I build all this formula, the, all these circumstances, surely if I build a $15 million building, God will come visit me there. Not necessarily so. He likes to go where people's hearts are turned towards him. And not turned towards our own ways and not turned towards all the things we know. Look, God, I went to school for eight years. I got to use all this stuff that I've learned. He's like, sure. Use everything that you've learned to make a way in this world, but don't think that's how you get to me. It's very simple. 
that we would turn our hearts to him and begin to trust him. So here we go. We've chosen division and we've chosen separation throughout the history of the world, but God is continuing to make a way for us and he sends his son, Jesus, in a form of a child. It's fully man, fully God, to show us what was accessible on earth, but also to reconcile God and man who've been trying to get back to God for so long, and it just hadn't happened. And this ministry on this earth was healing and leading people and loving people and loving the poor and changing our paradigm. And as you know, we've been going through the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' treaties on his life. Jesus has done all of this, but it wasn't his job to bring us all back together. Our confused languages have made us scatter around the earth. And as we know, Jesus was brought for the Jews and the Jews only. He rarely ministered to the Gentiles. Only you could be born a Jew. Gentiles could believe, but, you know, they weren't always accepted that way. And then he's crucified, rises on the third day and then begins to form the kingdom of unity for us. What does unity look like? We've talked about what division looks like, but what does unity look like? Jesus ascends up to heaven. His disciples watch him leave, and he says, I'm going, but I'm going to leave a comforter with you. And his comforter is the very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So in Acts Two and one, it reads, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each and every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every religion under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking and said, they are full of new wine. Wow. It is as if Jesus left us the Holy Spirit to restore us back to the garden, to restore us to a place where we can understand one another, 
to restore us to the place where we can be united. A move of the Spirit is always gathered around unity. Why? Because we chose division. Spirit of God comes and rests upon these people. It's the nature of God's heart to take away division. Why is it that Chicago is so divided? Because we can be so resistant to the Spirit of God. Why? They go together. Because the only thing that the Spirit of God brings with is diversity, is unity. The most divided places you will go to will be devoid of the Spirit and the move of God. But it's tough here. It's tough ground. The city gets cold. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, God moves in California better because <laughs> the sun is shining. <laughs> God is like, man, I mean, those people look happier. I'm going to go there. <laughs> no. God moves here, too. But when man makes up in his mind because of all the things he knows, all of his knowledge, I know there's just been so many ministries that have been crushed here. I know there's so many ministers who have left disappointed here. I know that this has happened. But the Spirit of God is still bubbling, waiting for those whose hearts are turned towards him, that he can restore even what it feels like to walk with God in the garden every day. Can you imagine that? How things would not bother you? <laughs> if you would just, you wouldn't have to clothe yourself spiritually. You wouldn't have to put up all these boundaries between yourself and other people. That you can really be who God has called you to be without fear of being taken advantage of. That you can just walk with him peacefully understanding this is the life that Jesus lived. This is what he's given us access to by the work of the Spirit. Even as all these Jews returned from all over the world to come and they heard specifically in their language the work of the Spirit. God restoring even back before he confused our languages that we can begin to understand one another. That Jesus destroyed that dividing wall between us and God. And the Holy Spirit has mapped for us a way forward into unity. But there are so many people, so many churches in the city that are very resistant to the Spirit of God. I get it. People have had experiences and people have, you know, done, been abused the spirit or whatever it may seem. But here we have this gentle spirit in the form of a dove that can rest on us and walk with us and give us direct access to the Father and his Son. That is freaking amazing. That even as we're expecting unity among the races, and among people who live in different neighborhoods, we're expecting mercy to happen for us to give each other a chance to make a mistake even. Once again, in Matthew 5 and 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is always a work of the Holy Spirit. Me and my wife being together, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
considering all that's been arrayed against us, not just as we have been born and we have walked together in a relationship. I'm talking about this country bringing black people over in the bottom of a ship who look like me, who were aware of a certain death that two-thirds of the people who got on the boats in the Middle Passage did not get off. So those who are here, more than even survivors, that that kind of hate that has instituted chattel slavery in this country is something only the work of the Spirit can overcome. And we can look at it and be like, you know, there were all these great abolitionists. Yeah, the greatest abolitionists were all believers. Many of the greatest abolitionists were people who believed in Jesus. It was a work of the Spirit for us to be where we are today. So how do we believe we can go forward without the power of the Holy Spirit? Even if you think about justice in the city, the pursuit of justice, which we love, and inclusivity, all these things, without the work of the power of the Holy Spirit, it will not go forward. Because that is what got us to the point that we are at. It has to be, that's the only way unity comes. It may seem that it's all these other, you know what I mean, things happen, people came together, it was all right, but... We will be offended and we will divide without the very spirit that created each one of us. The bond of peace that is in unity. Talk about all the time, the the Azusa Street Revival, which is one of the greatest revivals that happened in um, in this country. And people were getting healed and saved in droves. Rich and poor were next to each other worshiping. 1906 in Los Angeles, California. It was led by a one-eyed black man. I have four, so, you know, I got one up on them. One-eyed black man. It was the first integrated church in America. Azusa Street. Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to go where diversity is. And we miss a picture of the kingdom when we decide to just be around people who look like us. You ever go somewhere and it's just everyone, everyone looks alike and everyone has the same culture? You're like, you know, something is missing. I can't put my finger on it, but something is missing. You are seeing a picture of the kingdom without everyone in its fullest place. But to do it with my own strength would not happen. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, it shall happen. I imagine ministering in a city without the power of the Holy Spirit or without access to abundance. I was talking to Peter today, and uh, he just gave me this, this fact as he does sometimes. And he said that people with unlimited PTO are less likely to use it. They use it less than people without it. I'm like, that is interesting. That people with unlimited time off would not use it. Because there's something about scarcity, maybe. There's something about us, like our time running out. We're like, oh, i got to use it. I'm like, if we do that with PTO, think about God and his unlimited grace. His unlimited love, his unlimited um, joy, his unlimited peace that we never access. Why? Because we are motivated really well by fear. 
is running out, right? Oh, oh, okay, all right, all right, something's going to end, Something, something's going to end, all right, now I'm going to do it, that thing that I needed to do five years ago, because I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt or die at this point. And only, God, only the way that we can actually walk to God is with love as our motivation, not fear. Not fear of scarcity, not fear of not having, not fear of taking steps back. That he's such an abundant God that in his presence there's this perfect love that casts out fear, that makes it all disappear. This is a city that Jesus really desires to visit. But you know what I'm saying? For a stubborn city, for a city that may seem resistant to of the spirit, God needs stubborn people. I was talking to someone else this week and um, just about how timid Christians are in this city. That even it's like the spirit of liberalism that makes us very timid. I talk about this all the time. You know, they can be Buddhist, they can be this, they can be that. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to offend them by introducing them to Jesus. There are people who are dying. Dying. In the midst of addiction, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of darkness. And we have this gift of Jesus that we are reluctant to share because we may offend someone. And I don't think there is any offense in love. I think that when you truly love and place your heart before people, that they would see it as the joy. Ezekiel was a prophet to the nation of Israel who had to be very stubborn for a stubborn people that God sent them to. And he has this verse in Ezekiel 3, 8, 9, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads like adamant stone, harder than flint. I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. That we will set our minds towards Jesus-flavored transformation transformation by the very spirit of God that division cannot stand against. I went into a coffee shop this week in this area and I'm putting up flyers for our discipleship course and um, when I went in the coffee shop they were like uh, I don't think you should put those up because our, uh, our owners are not religious so you shouldn't put up those flyers in here. And I'm like I'm not religious either. <laughs> I just love Jesus. They're like, I don't think it'll be a good fit. And I think, not saying that happens all the time, but an occurrence like that would make me believe that um, there's something I need to do to soften the radical message of the love of Jesus and the power of his spirit here in the city. But there's something that happens when we come together to worship and love. 
in the midst of division, in the midst of us even not feeling we have all the things to go forward in, in life, God is calling us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit being given to us, restored to the garden. Do you realize that you're walking around in life, but you are surrounded by a garden, right? And our awareness of it isn't always fresh. Because we believe we're surrounded by all we know and all that we can see. But surrounded by the peaceful love and presence of God. A wonderful, wonderful reality. We have access to so much unity and have so many places to help the city get to. And I believe with all of my heart that we will see people come to Jesus in droves and that he is getting us ready in a moment that we were in. If I am constantly eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will only be able to see what's around me, what I know, what I can see. This is the way it looks. The way it looks right now, nobody is getting saved. People don't want to go to church, it seems. But I have seen the place of, that God wants to take us all, and it's up to us to get prepared. And it has never rained before. <laughs> Noah is preaching that it's going to rain, and it had never rained on the earth. They're like, dude, what is rain? <laughs> it's going to rain. I'm building an ark. They're like, what is rain? The earth was watered from the ground. That's how it watered. It had ne- water had never fallen upon the earth. This is what God is preparing us for. It's going to rain. And people are like, what is rain, man? This pandemic, people ain't going to church. It's not happening, dude. God is stirring people's hearts right now, and it's up to us to be in position. Not that we would be dismayed by corruption or violence or poverty or division, but we would understand that we are meant to live with an expectation of what he is to do. Put your hand over your heart. Father, I just thank thank you that you have given us all these tools. You have given us this opportunity to walk with Jesus to be near him, Lord God. Help us to not be dismayed, but to stay around those who are on fire and hungry for you, Jesus. That this is a moment where the church is required to stand up and to be like Jesus, to love the poor, to love those who are in darkness, who have been isolated and working at home and all the things that have happened since the pandemic, Lord Jesus. May we be a safe place for those in our community to come and land and see how good you are. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Yeah!